Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is uh, Thursday. December 6th. December 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2018. Uh, the Lakers. In the year of our Lakers. I mean, yeah, they, well, the December of our Lakers, yeah. if nothing else. I mean, they, they're they November through good. December. Um, December. They are now December. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. Um, so the Lakers are now 59 and they beat San Antonio on Wednesday. They've won all four games on the homestand. And I don't know. I mean, we were doing, we were talking about this on the post game show, Andy, yesterday. And I, I, maybe it was sort of prisoner of the momenty. Maybe we were just, you know, we're, we're just so giddy because we finally have decent basketball to watch around here, whatever it is. I felt better about the Lakers last night than I have at any point in the season. And I think it's because of the way they won. They finished the homestand with a game where LeBron did LeBron things. 42 points, I think five rebounds, six assists, and and carried them in the fourth quarter. And then brought guys with him. So the Indiana game, at the beginning of the homestand, LeBron won that one by himself. But then, like, Kuzma has started to develop the floor game. Lonzo's been pretty good for a, a week and a half now, You know, five, six games, whatever it is. And LeBron is LeBroning. You see all this stuff happening. Like that's the formula. If the Lakers are going to be good enough to do anything useful in and um, fun in in the spring, like that's the formula. LeBron is good. The young players also offer something, and it hasn't been that way, even at least not consistently. Even while the the team had started to win a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just too that you had Lonzo and Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma all making really. Big shots down the stretch. Um, in the case of Lonzo and Kuzma, they both made uh, some really good passes that set up baskets for LeBron. But also, too, it was a game where they overcame adversity because Brandon Ingram got hurt in the first like five minutes of the game. He yep. sprained his ankle. His availability moving forward is still in question. The x-rays, thankfully, were negative. Um, but there's, there's still a question mark about when he's going to be back. And Josh Hart picked up three fouls in five minutes in the first half. And then, like and then another one in like 12 seconds. Right, he started for Ingram to begin the second half and was off the floor immediately because of that fourth foul. So, And they're already playing without Rajon Rondo. So you had a lot of adversity for the Lakers in this game, and they managed to come back from behind. They kept chipping away, chipping away. And then, like you said, you had LeBron clearly running the show down the stretch but it was not a one-man band. Like, other guys made critical contributions. And it was, it looked, and it was the right yeah. guys who did it. And it looked like there was, you know, Kuzma missed a couple threes. And, uh, you know, in this third quarter where they were, especially, you know, where the, the Lakers weren't shooting well. And they were, you know, San Antonio looked like they were going to take the game away. But then, you know, he said down the stretch, it, it got better. The Lakers hit eight of their final 12 three-pointers and uh, ended up winning relatively comfortably. The thing about it that that strikes me, and I'm just pulling up the standings right now. I just want to pull the box score at the same time. But the standings are, you know, starting to get a little bit more favorable for the Lakers. It's still very tight in the Western Conference. There are still only one team that you look at and say that team is garbage, and that's the Phoenix Suns. You know, Sacramento, you know, twenty something games in is still kind of hanging around. I don't think it's going to last, but they're twelve and eleven. Uh, but the Timberwolves have started to come back after the Jimmy Butler trade. They're back above 500. The Pelicans are at 500. The Jazz are are creeping back. You know, they're a, a game below 500. Houston's a game. Like, it's really tough. San Antonio looks like they might be the other team that kind of fades out of here a little faster. But the Lakers are making some some moves here. And if you still look at the the the, the conference ladder, 
I, I don't think there's another team that you could say ought to improve or has the potential at least to improve over the course of the rest of the year more than the Lakers. I mean, I guess it depends on how you define improve. Sure. Because, I mean, obviously if you consider Utah – to get you know, I, get back in the mix. Let me, let me you mean improve in ways that you don't, that you don't know what it's going to look right. like. I expect Utah to be a number okay. two or three seed anyway. What they're doing now is the thing that is weird. I think the Pelicans maybe could be in there just because we don't totally know that's what fair. that looks like right, you know, that's with fair. Julius Randle playing the role that he does. No Rajon Rondo. Right, Alfred Payton when he El- comes back. Right, like that kind the, of the Pelicans are a bit of a mystery, but your general point that nobody has more upside in the West than the Lakers on pure just... We have no idea how good exactly. it could be. You're correct. I know that. what Dem- I, I mean. I, Denver is seventeen seven. They're currently at least as of Thursday. They're at the top of the conference. The Thunder, like we know what the Thunder ought to be. We know what Denver ought to be with a healthy Millsap. Will Barton's going to come back. We've seen that team. Obviously, Golden State. I think in the, everybody believes will be the number one seed in the end. Um, I mean, you could make an argument Dallas, but I don't. You know, most people don't think they're going to stick around long enough for that to think, be a real thing. I think thing. Rick Carlisle, as he always does, will squeeze every last bit of blood out of what he has in front of him, right. and I just don't think there's enough blood. Um, so, you know, if if you had to, if I told you at the beginning of the year that 24 games in the Lakers would be 15 and nine, they would have had they would have been missed Ingram for four games uh, because of suspension Rondo now for like half the like season. half the season basically between the suspension and the hand injury, um, and they'd still be fifteen and nine. I, I mean, I'd have taken that a thousand times oh, yeah. over. Like absolutely, and they're in really good shape. Now, yeah, it, it's funny we were talking about this last night, Brian, uh, on the post game show on ESPN LA that the way this team gets covered. You would think they were six games below 500. And it's like, as opposed to six games above. And, and I, and I recognize that there is a lot that they need to work on. There's still a lot that needs to get better. You know, their point differential is they very don't, They don't profile as a 16, a 15 and 9 team in the West but, right but now. But it has been incremental progress. No and question. as long as you can accept the fact that it's incremental, you know, for a team that, remember when we enter the season, the general consensus was, well, they're not going to win a championship this year anyway. There's still this panic. Right. Well, I mean, the but, team but we've talked about right. But we talked that about I don't like quite get. We talked about the the idea of the slow start, like how everybody know. And again, intellectually, you know, ten and ten was like a reason. And they were eleven and nine, and they won all four games on a very important homestand against beatable teams. Uh, and you know, then people turn around and say, "Well, they didn't beat anyone good." Well, Dallas isn't terrible. Indiana isn't terrible. But set all beat that aside. Portland. So, but I'm just talking about this homestand. Okay. Set all that aside. Well, what else are you supposed to do? Like, it's, it's beats the alternative, which is losing to those teams you're not supposed to. And that's how good teams get good records, is they beat teams at home that they're better than. And so that's what the Lakers did here. Um, the, the other part that I, I, I just kind of giggle at is the hand wringing over, you know, are they too LeBron dependent? Now, I get it in terms of, you know, do you, you don't want to burn them out, but I don't think, I don't think, you know, if you look at his minutes, you know, his usage isn't, Way above career norms. It's like, it's high. It's high. It's high, but it's always high. It's, he's LeBron James. His usage is always going to be high. Um, but they're not, it's not what Kobe was doing before he tore his Achilles, where he was averaging like 41 or 42 minutes a game. I, I was doing, doing ever, some, like his usage was like 93. I was actually doing some price comparison for a piece I recently wrote for the Athletic, where we're both covering the Lakers for the Athletic. Um, have actually a lot of recent pieces. Yeah, out. I got another one up today. Uh, people should be checking out. But I was look. I, I wrote a piece about, uh, in part, 
LeBron's usage and, and the the storyline that came out from it with Magic saying that he'd like it to be lower. Cope. Kobe right. saying he'd like it to be lower, but Kobe's like 2006 usage rate is bonkers. It's, it's like it's 104. Really. Like he actually had the ball like more than there were available possessions. Yeah. But like that stretch where he was dragging that Dwight team to the playoffs, he was playing like, like they're not doing that to LeBron right now. And so there's nothing unusual about how much. And if nothing else, I, you know, he's playing fewer minutes. Than he has over the no, course of his theory, career. No, just in theory, you would like it to be lower, just because they brought in all these playmakers right. to, in theory, lower it. But that's not. But the reason it isn't working is has less to do with the team, and I think more to do with LeBron. He's just he's like, no, nah, I'm kind of going to kind of revert back to how well, I, I like to do what, it. This is one of the things I wrote about um, for the Athletic was just the idea that players like LeBron or Kobe, or generally speaking, you know, 97 percent of legit superstars you know i mean you got like your rare tim duncans as an exception most of these guys are not flexible at mm. all steph is an example of a guy who's steph flexible. is flexible tim duncan was flexible the overwhelming majority of these guys are not flexible no, they do in their it that approach way, which is, at all because that's how they got right. to this point and they're better than you right i mean you can debate how much flexibility they should have or they've earned the right to be totally about flexible yeah. but either we'll, way we'll get to this in a second normal. we'll get to this in a second with all the, and lebron the is not terribly flexible no he's not and but you know the, to the, the to the previous point they're not burning him out and you know the, the whole point of having lebron having kobe having russell westbrook having james harden is because in basketball, if you have one of those guys, like you can win games you're not supposed to. One guy can drag your team to the finish line over 48 minutes. That's what they're for. That's why you have these guys. So the idea that you're going to be like, oh my God, the Lakers needed LeBron to score 40 points and they won, and then get upset because LeBron scored 40 points and they won, seems kind of dumb to me. It's like we've completely forgotten in L.A., what it is to have one of these guys and like that we used to have these conversations about Kobe and are they too reliant on him and are the and that was with Lamar Odom and Pau Gasol Andrew and Andrew, and far more accomplished players than who they have now that they could lean on we still were like are they too dependent on Kobe this is this is the conversation with every superstar it is nice to have first world problems again and this is not one of them there there is zero risk right now of burning out LeBron it's more a question of can you, if the Lakers are going to make some noise in the playoffs, win a round, win two rounds, get to the Western Conference Finals, who knows what happens? You, the, the other guys need the, to be better developed. They, right. The younger guys. It is going to be. And LeBron said this. Luke Walton said this the other day when I when I and I asked him about it, and, and you can read about it too. Like they're going to be as good as the young players are because LeBron is going to be LeBron, Rondo is going to be Rondo. It's the other guys. So. How good, how, how much development can you give them over the course of the year? That's the tricky thing that they have to balance. But if they keep winning games, that gives them more flexibility to actually build that in. So in that sense, they can be a little ahead of schedule too. Yeah. I mean, this is not a perfect, it's not a perfect product or anything close to a perfect product. And the team has a lot that they still need to work on. But again, if you had, any type of realistic expectations for this team or just sort of accepted the consensus of what people th- – I mean, we're not far removed. Remember, at the beginning of the season, there was a debate about whether or not they'd make the playoffs. So now all of a sudden they're sitting in either the five or four they're seed. They're five right now. They're a five seed. They're a couple they're games one. out of one. Right. They're a couple games out of the one, and people are still, like, hand-wringing 
and panicking. It's just, I mean, this is like again. I'm not, I'm not trying to be no. This is like, about this the is team. Where, They've this got is, some issues. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to me how people are viewing them. Um, all right. So the other thing that's going on is the the controversy surrounding Kevin Durant and other players and the comments they made to Rick Buecher for a story at Bleacher Report that basically um, it, it, it laid out why players wouldn't necessarily be lining up to play with LeBron and the Lakers this summer. Um, and I think you have to divide this into two categories. Thankfully, the Lakers aren't looking to play the free agency. No, no. It's fine. The water <laughs> off a duck's back. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with what they want to do moving forward. No, not at all. Um, so there are two things, and I think the, the controversy around it is getting kind of because they're, they're too. The first part is KD again kind of teeing off in the media and projecting and sounding like a big whiny baby who's jealous that LeBron gets better coverage than he does. That's basically what it comes, comes down to that. There's that part. Then there's the basketball part about uh, how he breaks down like, it's great for Kyle Korver, but why would Kawhi, I have the quote in front of me, if you're a younger player like Kawhi, trying to pair him with LeBron James doesn't really make sense. Kawhi enjoys having the ball in his hands, controlling an offense, dictating the tempo with his post-ups. It's how he plays the game. A lot of young players are developing that skill. They don't need another guy, meaning LeBron. Um, you know, Trevor Reza, guys similar to LeBron, LeBron. Why would they want to play with somebody who does all the same things? I can see why they would want to play elsewhere. Uh, Tyson Chandler, notably before he became a Laker. <laughs> Guys, uh, if you, if you've got LeBron, you've got to make it all about LeBron. You've got to be able to coexist with that and fit with that. Not in a LeBron is a bad guy in any selfish way, but LeBron James is the best basketball player on the planet. You're going to have to mold yourself this, this to is, him. Look, this is one of the things that at, at times would frustrate me, you know, when you and I covered Kobe, because, you know, not only was Kobe the best player on that team, he was the most talented, like in terms of the Kobe Pow years. So if anybody was most capable of adjusting to the needs of the other guys less capable of adjusting their game, it's, it's it would Kobe be him. or right. LeBron or whoever. And again, like I said earlier, superstars don't do that. Right. That's just, that's just not how it works. And so, you know, the, even, you know, even a guy like Pau Gasol, who was a, you know, Lottery pick, you know, Hall of Famer, multiple right. time All Star. You How mold your Kobe, game, not the other way around. And so, like, and you can get into the some of the stuff about it. Like, you know, when you look at the the, the big four free agents this year, it's KD, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Clay. Clay's not going anywhere. I, I until I hear anything, even a peep, that that's something. I don't even put him in the group. Uh, so that leaves Kawhi. Kawhi is a an MVP caliber player. Who has won a Finals MVP? Particularly this season, right? He's been great this year, and he's in his prime. Rightly doesn't believe that. Why should I have to take a backseat to anyone? Kevin Durant is the only player in basketball who can make a, I think, a solid argument that he's actually better than LeBron. It feels like he's uh, tipped. Trying, he's trying. <laughs> it feels like right. he's uh, tipped his hand. Yeah, I think he's. But like that, you know, why should I have to? And so, you know, if you come to this team. It's LeBron's, it's going to be LeBron James's team and you're on it. And like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're better than he is. It does, none of those things matter. And like, it may not be fair, but that's how it's going to be. And you're going to have to, as a, as a star, change what you do probably more than LeBron is going to have to change what he does ultimately. Oh, there's no question. And so I get it when these guys say, when they say, like, I understand why. We talked about this before, Andy. Like, there's a good chance, not that they should have done it differently, but the Lakers were a little too successful in free agency last year. They signed 
too good a player. If they had gotten George and not LeBron, they wouldn't be as good this year. But Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, all those guys, KD, they can, they're all sitting there going, oh, I'm at least as good as that guy. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I can go join that team, be the second star, and that's going to be my group. You can't do that with LeBron. It does raise though the interesting question though, in, in in terms of adjustments and the way LeBron plays and the way ultimately everything will revolve around around LeBron. If say like the next tier of free agents, like you know, still the guys who are very good, you know, but they're not Clay, they're not Durant, they're not Butler, they're not Kawhi. But you look at say like a Kemba Walker or a. Chris Middleton, you know, uh, uh, Tobias Harris, you know, these guys who are very good, you know, all-star caliber players, but they're not the all-NBA calibers. Whether or not those guys might actually just make more sense alongside somebody like LeBron because it becomes less complicated. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no question. Because, like, a Kemba, Kemba Walker is, I believe, going to be a free agent. Yes. He's a good player. Chris Middleton, you know, all those, like those, those sort of quote unquote second tier guys. You know, Lakers aren't going to run anymore, Boogie. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there, there are ways around. Like. And I, I don't mean, like, I don't mean any of this as a criticism of KD, like, like Kawhi, all of these guys. I don't mean it as a criticism of LeBron. There's a, you know, this is how it works. The greatest people in anything, in any walk of life, you're the best scientist in the world. You're the best, like, you do, you, you believe that my way is the right way. And something like and no scientist, Brian, no great scientist wants to be Robin. No, they all want to be Batman. <laughs> they all want to be Batman. And None of them want to be it's, Robin. It's it's one of those deals where they nobody's necessarily wrong. Like too. LeBron is not a selfish player. Kobe was, and people are maybe sort of like Kobe could be selfish in terms of how he would just decide to do things and whatever. But it's not like this narrative that Kobe wouldn't pass. Kobe wouldn't set up. Stupid. There are so many players. Like you look at, you know, the, you look at the second part of Kobe's career. There are a, there's a long list of players who left the Lakers and were nowhere close to as good. Like the only guy, you know, uh, among, you know, non pow basically not pow the only guy that left the Lakers and stayed as good as he was with the Lakers is Ariza. That's the list. Yeah. I mean, Shannon Brown fell off a cliff. Yeah, that's about it. Brian Cook fell off a cliff. I mean, it's... all these guys fell off a cliff the minute they stopped playing with Kobe. So, for again, all like you were saying, all the talk about how Kobe doesn't make anybody better, he won't pass the ball, impossible to play with. No, Kobe there was, was a long list of players who were nowhere close to, to as effective correct. as they were Kobe was, playing with Kobe. Uh, he was brutal on teammates oftentimes. Yes, so he was. was. Jordan. But like this notion that he was, it wouldn't give you the ball is stupid. He was a, a great passer. He and just a did it with passer. a lot of conditions. Right. And a lot of pointing. <laughs> a lot yeah. of jaw jutting and all that kind of stuff. But Kobe, like, Kobe was the best player. And he was the hardest worker. And he was doing all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to do it my way. And look, LeBron. I'll bring you with me. And I will make you better in the process. LeBron may be less outwardly selfish, if you want to call it that way, but he is it's just, just a, as it's controlling. Just a different style. It's just he's a different just style. as controlling. Absolutely. He's a different, he's not a, Kobe's seen more selfish because he's naturally inclined to score more than LeBron. That's it. The, the, but that's not right. You, the, that, your point he's is more naturally is inclusive. Yeah, because he's a, because more Magic Johnson than right. Michael Jordan. But he's just as controlling yes, as Kobe. He's absolutely. just as rigid as Kobe. And absolutely. And I think that's important. And if you think that despite, you know, the, the, oh, it's all about the rings, only the only thing that matters. If Kobe, like, Kobe wouldn't have joined a team where he would have been considered the second best we player. We have evidence of this. We watched him 
say Shaq right. leaves or and, I leave. And you know what? I don't blame him. That's, it's fine. I, I'm not even saying it as a right. judgment. I'm just saying we have the literal evidence Correct. that he wouldn't have done it. And so I, I find this, you know, the, the people who are talking about it, they're exactly right. And so I think it's important insofar as Lakers can, like you say, like this is the plan. I I think you get what I, maybe they get someone, but like there's this sort of oh the Lakers will have a second superstar, and they might, but we kind of treat it as if there's no fundamental difference between signing a guy in the summertime and trading for one, and it's a massive difference in terms of how your roster is going to be constructed going forward and how good your team can be and all that kind of stuff. The Lakers signed Kawhi Leonard, and they still have all their stuff. Now you can trade people. You can sign the guys you have who are likely much better than you'll be able to get on the free agent market. You can do all this stuff. The Lakers can go over the cap. They don't care about that. They can pay luxury tax. But the, the rules prevent you from making your roster better at that point. If you have to trade everybody to get Anthony Davis or trade everybody to get half the guys to get Bradley Beal and you got one guy left, you flip him for someone else, your team is sort of locked in with yeah. this. You have zero flexibility. Or if you trade too, for Bradley Beal, and then you end up having to flip flip Brad, Bradley Beal to get Anthony Davis. Whatever it is, like yeah. you are locked into a roster with fewer opportunities to correct, you know, to 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 improve it, to tweak it. You end up with the same problems that the Cavs had trying to build a team around LeBron. And so, you know, it, it, there's this sort of just casual acceptance of. Of course, the Lakers can get a second star. As if how doesn't matter, and as if any like any of this stuff about why people might not just come running to play with LeBron isn't a real thing. And you know, I, I Katie comes off whiny because of the media stuff. Oh my god! But he's not wrong. He may not be wrong. The substance of what he's saying about LeBron no. and the and the atmosphere of playing with him and the reasons guys wouldn't want to do it, he and the other players quoted in this Buker article, and gets a lot of people on the yes, record being yes, he did. very mean, frank. You can't you cannot accuse this is not Buker sources. Just, well, you can't accuse him just trying to stir the pot. No, these, these are, are guys, guys talking. on the record talking honestly talking about what it is. Talking pretty thoughtfully. Um, you know, and I don't blame him. like look what look what happened when KD chose happiness and chose winning. He's had his house teepeed basically ever since then. Chris Bosh, who is one of the most extraordinary players of his generation, people forget he was on that team that won two titles. He's like, oh, that third guy. Like he's dismissed in ways that he doesn't deserve to be. Um, and I, you know, legacy matters. I understand why these guys think of it. So having said that, can we at least spend like a minute on Durant and how he's essentially subtweeting himself with mm. the media comments, you know, Quote, so much hype comes from being re- being around LeBron from other people. He has so many fanboys in the media. Even the beat writers just fawn over him. I'm like, we're playing basketball over here, and it's not even b- about basketball at certain points. So I get why anyone wouldn't want to be in that environment because it's toxic, especially when the intention is BS attention, fluff. It's not LeBron's fault at all. It's just the fact that you have so many groupies in the media that love to hang on every word. Just get out of the way and let us play basketball. Shut the F yeah, up, dude. Like, what is the matter with him? Like, first of all, I'm old enough to remember when LeBron spent like three years getting crushed by the media for doing exactly, Kevin Durant, what you did. And you and by the way, I thought the reaction to people criticizing LeBron for teaming up with Wade and Bosch was stupid in the same way that I think the reaction to Durant joining up with the Warriors was stupid. Like, the, you should be able to do whatever the hell you want. But this notion that LeBron didn't go through the exact same damn thing that you're dealing with right now, Durant, the difference is is that LeBron eventually just said, 
F it. I don't I'm, care. I don't care. I'm not going to pay attention to it. And they're going to write what or, they're going to write. Or how about this? If you hate the media so much, Durant, stop, stop. seeking out every single uh, just, effing microphone that is within 50 feet of you. Reason Shut I, up. the reason I don't think he's coming here. Because if you... I'm, like, if you care I'm as much embarrassed about, for Durant. If you care as much about what people, eggs, Twitter yes. eggs, are saying to you about your choice to go to Golden State, which is one, by the way, I applauded. Yeah. I had no issue with it at all. You know, if you care that much, you're not going to leave the best team where the criticism was you're you're too much of a bleep to to be a man and go lead your own team. you got to hide behind the best team. And then come here and play with the best player. You're not doing. You're not doing that. Well, I, mean, I just. I think he's got. Well, apparently, a different it's a toxic environment. Why would you jump? A into different that? player would would be. But he one with with less insecurities about these things. He just listens yeah. too much. He's not just he's he, coming. Like he's that, going to New York. That quote I just read yeah. from Durant. It, it's the equivalent of subtweeting yourself. Like just stop. Like if you don't like it, go to the Knicks. Like, like I promise you. You know you'll get. You'll get pilloried for something different, but at least people will stop saying you took the easy way out. By definition, anybody who puts their career in the hands of James Dolan is not taking the easy way out. But just shut up. Yep, like it's, I agree. It's, and I really like Durant, and I feel oh, bad. He's such a good player. I, but I also feel bad for him because it seems like he's incapable of enjoying like the fruits of his labor, and this he deserves is, well, to. Well, it's one of these things. Like all he athletes, really deserves and I, to, and I don't. Of course, he does. I don't know him well enough to know, but just like from, I don't know at all. But like just from observing, like every athlete has their thing that kind of drives them, yeah. the thing that they make. Like Jordan, you know, thought he still thought he was like disrespect to people. That, you know, thought he was thinking this guy's better, that guy's, but whatever it is, like they invent things, they invent slights. This one seems to be KD's. Um, and like you say, it does seem to prevent him from appreciating and enjoying all the success that he's had. It's a shame. Well, it's just it's again, Jerry, it's I, very I'm, Jerry West. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm growing embarrassed for Durant, and I really hate saying that. Like I don't enjoy, I don't I don't enjoy making these criticisms of it. But it's it's seriously, it's just yeah. getting stupid. Um, but anyway, so that that's been the the big Twitter conversation, the big basketball conversation uh, for the last day or so. Uh, before we go. It's that time. It's that time of year. It's the holidays, which means that Hallmark, the Hallmark Channel, is putting out a new batch of holiday movies. Uh, and that means, as we do every year, we will play our Hallmark movie game where Andy gives me the name of the movie and I try to guess what the plot of the movie is. And then we find out how close I am. Yes. Okay. We, uh, uh, every year. This is yes. a holiday tradition like no other. Yep. Uh, we shall begin with... It's Christmas, comma, Eve. All right. <laughs> First of all. Oh, by the way, we missed this one, so uh, I, I hope you're not cheating and you no, actually I've saw not, it. No, I have not okay. watched it. So this one already okay. premiered. This I one suspect already they, will all, they, will all, they will all be rerun ad nauseum, I think, on yes. the Hallmark Channel. It's Christmas, comma, Eve. Is it a Eve. hint uh, if I tell you that Leanne Rhymes is playing Eve? Eve, no. Well, I I, I would have guessed that it was <laughs> you the, 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 main character, the main character is... A woman named Eve, uh, played by Leanne Rhymes. Uh, and she is a person who it, it just doesn't have the Christmas spirit. She's not capable, Andy, of getting herself into Christmas and appreciating the season. She's had, uh, trouble, like the family with work and she just can't, she can't get it. And so what they're trying to, the, the people around her are trying to, to elevate her 
during the holiday season and they're happy, but they struggle until Eve, played by Leanne Rimes, meets a nice young man, uh, who also introduces her to all the, ho- the happiness that the holidays can bring with family and friends and love. You're close. <laughs> Except you're not. Oh, disappointing. I mean, the way, first of all, the synopsis you had, which I, I understand, that would almost be like the title is, it's Christmas Eve. Like, like they're chiding like, her. That's what I'm saying. Like, come yeah. on, Eve. That's how I took it. Eve. It could also be known as Eve. <laughs> it's Christmas. Yeah, but that's a different movie, Brian. Oh. The official synopsis is, as interim school superintendent, Eve <laughs> trims budgets, and now it's in her hometown where it's personal. Her, oh, right. Her so, handsome okay. neighbor, Liam, is a music teacher, and Eve feels his program must be cut. But luckily, her friend is married to an IT guy who's created a website for donations directly to save the arts program. Launched during the tree lighting ceremony where Liam's students will perform, the website could provide the Christmas miracle the town needs. Already, the universe is cooperating. Eve is back at home, and she... Liam and his daughter, single father, look like they may be celebrating many right. a future Christmas. So it's basically, it's, it's sort of the opposite. This could also be known as the, was it the Chevrolet story? Mm-hmm. Like, let's not, let's not hack the music program off. It's Christmas Eve. Come on. Yeah. All right. Over one. A veteran's Christmas, formerly a soldier's Christmas. A veteran's Christmas, formerly a soldier's Christmas. First of all, it's about a guy who's no longer in the military. Thank you for your service. Yes, thank you. Uh, he is out of the military um, and has returned Andy to find that the hometown and the fa- and the family that he left is just a little bit different. He needs a pick-me-up over the course of the holidays. Um, and the town, led by a delightful woman who runs a bakery <laughs> – because that's what they do. The town kind of there are a lot of bakeries. There are a lot of bakeries in these movies. <laughs> it is pumpkin spice. It's season. pumpkin spice season. It's ginger season. Yeah. So the the nice lady who runs the bakery, who had been a friend uh, going back to elementary school, of this veteran while he was in mm-hmm. service, yeah. they even wrote to each other Andy, okay. frequently while he was overseas. Like Ten pals of old. Yeah. Uh, and he comes back to find that she was once dating someone and, you know, maybe he kind of pined for her a little bit. Now she's single and it's not quite lining up. And through her efforts to uh, bring this veteran back into the community, they find love as well. Also, thank you for your service. So off. Oh, first of all, I haven't been sleeping okay, a lot lately. First of all, right. I'm going to read veteran a woman. Yes, it's Damn 2018, it. you chauvinist bastard. I, like, Andy, we are talking the Hallmark Channel. It is very traditional. And it's also geared towards women. That's true. You're the woman, Brian. Chauvinist bastard. Captain Grace Garland, a director. Grace decorated, Garland? Grace Garland. Oh, God. A decorated. <laughs> a US, on the nose. Decorated U.S. veteran, Brian. Because, again, it's I, 2018. No, I understand that. They, like. The it's women 2018. Serve, they get elected to Congress. I got it. Yeah. No, I mean, over the, over the objections of people like you, apparently. Inside, I voted for a, a decorated U.S. veteran <laughs> returns home after two tours. Two, Brian. I got that part. Of search right. and rescue in Afghanistan. Okay. After being separated from her beloved canine partner, I can see why I didn't pick up on that. Grace must redis- 
discover the magic of Christmas. When she finds herself stranded in the town of Rivers Crossing, stranded, she's a decorated veteran, you would think she could conquer this part. How did I get out of here? <laughs> couple, they didn't teach me this in country a couple of weeks before Christmas. <laughs> this bus <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, I, I do. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I was in the bleep in Afghanistan, but they didn't teach me how to get out of a town a couple of weeks before Christmas. Map quest. Seriously, a veteran's Christmas. It's 2018. Rivers crossing. Yeah. A local judge. Joe Peterson, suburban everywhere, offers her a place to stay on his property and takes it upon himself to show Grace everything she has been missing, which apparently includes a map, <laughs> uh, during the Christmas season. So again, I'm not told. I mean, I, I, other than I got the man woman thing wrong, she does seem to be lacking in holiday spirit and the community is helping bring her in, except it's a, instead of a, a, a lovely female baker, it's a male property owner. Helping her out. Christmas at Graceland. This is either about a Christmas that takes place at Elvis's house mm-hmm. or Christmas that takes place at a woman named Grace's house and they call it Graceland. What do you got? I'm going to say it's this. It's about a, a man... Who loves Elvis mm-hmm. and during the holiday season creates uh, a, a, a an homage to Elvis's life and his his famous homestead of Graceland mm-hmm. in a small town right uh, on the East Coast. Okay, and it's a good setting. It is, <laughs> and what happens is people come around and they try to they, they visit Graceland and they do all these things and um, they, they the, the the town. The, the other people who run the amusements in town don't like it because it's sort of off board. <laughs> so really what they're trying to do is crush this person's sort of homemade Graceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's saved because the community rallies around it because it's just so darn kitschy and adorable. And the person who leads the way is the woman who runs the bakery uh, in town. Mm-hmm. And she helps save Graceland. And her name, Andy, is Grace. My God. God, you're off. <laughs> Laurel, a Chicago-based business executive, travels to Memphis to secure. Oh, it really is about going to Graceland. <laughs> to That's secure, stupid. <laughs> to secure. No, it's, uh, it's well, it's Christmas. She has to spend Christmas in Memphis. Let, can yeah. you let me finish? There, there were a lot of writers who put some thought into this, Brian. At least give them the respect of hearing their synopsis. Right. A Chicago-based. Business executive Laurel travels to Memphis to secure one of the city's oldest family-owned banks. While in Memphis, Laurel reunites with Old Flame Clay, a local music promoter with loftier aspirations. Though Laurel tries to keep her eyes on the prize of the business acquisition, Clay is very persuasive, reminding her of the days when they were a performing duo on the brink of stardom. Now Laurel's focus turns to the home of the blues and dreams of making music again. I would watch that. <laughs> it actually doesn't sound half bad. Next really one. struggling this year. Yeah, you really are. But again, you've been busy. You, you just had, for people who aren't aware, you just had your third child and that, that'll. This week. Yeah. <laughs> it's been that, busy. That I know of. Been busy for you guys. Road to Christmas. Stars, uh, one-time teen idol Chad Michael Murray. All right. He's like on one of those One Tree Hill shows or, or the, or the OC or one of those type things. 
if that now, matters. This is, again, where you have to decide, is this literal or is it figurative? Mm-hmm. I'm going literal. Excellent. There is a road to a town called Christmas, um, and Chad Michael Murray – no, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're in too deep. You're pot committed. You've already oh. shoved your chips into the center of the table and said all it. Chad Michael Murray has to find his way back to Christmas. Um, this is wrong. It's not. That's not it, is it? But Chad Michael Murray has to find his way back to to Christmas, where he can uh, win the heart. Of the lady who is the baker. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days is going to be a baker. You're going to uh, land on. I'm going to land on the baker, metaphorically, not literally. Um, and so, Chad won't Michael, show that on Hallmark. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these deals where Chad Michael Murray has is is been gone for a long time. Uh, we got some strained relationships at home, uh, particularly with the lady who runs the bakery. And he's got to make his way back. And things that are out, forces outside of his control and are drawing him back. Uh, but on the way, he, he, he struggles. There are obstacles that he meets uh, as he tries to get back to Christmas in time for Christmas. Um, and he, and he, he finally makes it overcoming much adversity and a lot of, uh, sort of mistaken moments where the lady thinks he may not be coming back and he thinks it, and it, it really is quite heartwarming at the end for Chad Michael Murray. This might be the most you've been off. <laughs> Los Angeles tele- television producer Maggie Baker. Again, you got to start thinking of, you know, they can't the, the all... people in power as no, but women, they, they Brian. can't all I'm be. Just saying. You... Well, this is—I never said anything about Chad Michael Murray being in power. No, I know, but you're you're centering it. You by making the man the center of all this, you are shifting some degree of power. And my hint would be always make the woman at the center of the story. Right, let me start. It up. is both. It is both 2013 and the Hallmark Channel. It's it's make the woman at the center. It's it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be easier if they all had Eve in the title. I will also too, just to make it easier for you. If there actually is a bakery involved, I'll let you know ahead Thank of time. You. you know what? The man runs the bakery in my next one. Okay. Local television producer Maggie Baker unwittingly falls for Danny Weiss, the son and former producer of his mother's popular annual Christmas special, Julia Wise Lifestyle. When Maggie's secret plan to reunite Danny and his two brothers with Julia during the live broadcast in Vermont goes awry, Maggie is reminded that, above all, it is the love for family and friends that makes the merriest of Christmas. That sounds really terrible. That's not, I don't like that one at all. I wouldn't, I would not watch that one. Uh, we got time for a couple more? One more. I think we have one more. Marrying Father Christmas. I don't deserve two more. Marrying Father Christmas. No bakery. And it probably shouldn't be about a priest. <laughs> a priest that leaves the church to to get married at Christmas time because the the tug of love is so strong. Um, Marrying father. <laughs> the tug of love. It's the name of my fourth album. Um, we've all felt it, Andy. I gotta be honest. I don't know. What's it called? Marrying Father Christmas. Marrying Father Christmas. Any shot this is about old people? You know, like, can I say this because, like, our Santa died? Like, the Santa. <laughs> I know. Grow? 
I know. Our Grove Santa died. I know. He was wonderful. And it would be such an adorable story. Like, you had a Santa. guy, like your dad, like, the main character is a television producer, okay? And she's a woman. Because women do that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, 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 and her dad is really sad because, um, you know, the mom died a few years ago and he doesn't really know what to do with himself. And, um, he is known around town as like a beloved, a beloved holiday Santa, but he's lonely. So he's got all these people who love him at work, Andy, but he's a lot, very lonely at home. And so she spends her time trying to, to hook him up with love around Christmas time and it, it with another widow, uh, who uh, works at the same mall. Or at the very least, does the mall walking thing mm-hmm. there early in the morning, um, and in the process, the mall of, walking scenes, by the way, in Better Call Saul are so great. fantastic. Anyway, um, and in the process of doing so, she actually falls in love with the the widow's son, and so in the end, they all find love not together because that would be weird. And kind of gross, not literally together, but you know, the broadly together, uh, and that—that's how this works. You know what? You're you're in the general ballpark. I, I'll give you some in the general ballpark credit. When Miranda Chester sets off to find information on her biological father two Christmases ago, she never imagined the investigation would lead her to both the love of her life, Ian McCandrick. And the family she always longed for, including Margaret Whitcomb and stepbrother Peter Whitcomb. After her romantic engagement last Christmas, Miranda prepares a Christmas wedding surrounded by this new family. When Miranda finalizes the deal of her big day, Margaret forges a surprising romance with a friend from the past. Miranda's wedding plans are quickly complicated when a mysterious stranger who claims to have ties with her late parents reaches out to her just days before the wedding. As Miranda's wedding approaches, she must decide if she wants to spend one of the most momentous momentous days of her life with this new family connection and must carefully navigate the first steps into the next chapter of her life with even Ian. Kind of, how did I get that even kind of right? Because it involved, like, old people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so bad this year. It's very disappointing. You know you what? get one shot at this you year. You know what? I kind of want to see where this one goes. <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see. You only get one chance to get the Hallmark movie game right, and I just whiffed. I kind of want to see where this ah. goes with Miranda and her family. All right. Well. Like, is she going to marry this guy? I don't know. Probably. What does that have to do with old people finding love? Like, uh, my story is pretty good, though. Well, just because it's involved, like, she she got a new family with older people around them, and she was reuniting, oh, okay. looking for her father. But it's not about a Santa who is beloved no. by the community, but is, no, like, but it's secretly about quite lonely. Christmas. Father Christmas, her father. She's probably going to discover her father on Christmas. I was trying, Brian. Oh, I appreciate it. We have to go now. I'll okay. see everybody next time. I'm sad. <laughs>